0: He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You
1: like me right now. You like
0: me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now, now that I'm on my way? She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's
2: broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by your friends at the Internal Revenue Service. You may have heard that the Powerball Lottery is up to $1.5 billion. And your friends at the IRS want you to know that they're pulling for you. Because when you win, we win. <laughs> Roughly $460 million in new tax payments. At the IRS, We have a very particular set of skills. (laughs) Skills we have acquired over very long careers. Skills that make us a nightmare for people like you. If you pay now, that'll be the end of it. If you don't, we will look for you. We will find you. And we will audit you. So enjoy the lottery, America. <laughs> I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And uh, Mickey, do you feel like a winner today?
1: I, You know what? I I certainly do. I feel like a winner today. I feel like a winner every day that I get to show up to the show and work with you guys. Aww. I was waiting for, like, some sappery coming back. Nothing. Nothing <laughs> from y'all. You're slow this morning. <laughs>
2: I'm, 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 I'm counting where how many tickets I can buy and
1: uh, <laughs> well get you the know show
2: blow off everything else or get this you know, win, the, win the lottery blow off the show blow off everything else
1: <laughs> love everything else that seems to be the theme and we're actually going to talk a little bit about the the powerball fever as they're calling it in the next segment but a lot has happened since the last time we got together and um, some involving the discussions that we actually had here between Jim and I. Um, As you guys know, those of you who follow me on social media um, and anyone who listened to the show last week knows that I took a great interest in making a murder, as has the entire nation, apparently. And since that time, um, it's been he's Steve Avery, the accused in this particular case, has actually gotten a brand new attorney. Um, There have been appeals that were filed, but it's my understanding those were filed before the documentary aired. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just found out that Tennessee, along with some other states, are looking at juvenile interrogations based on this Mm -hmm. documentary. So I just wanted to update our listeners that like, no matter which side you fall on in this debate, it's a good debate to have.
2: I would agree with that. And it is kind of interesting to see. Um, I am sure if you are a documentary filmmaker, to have an impact like this is exactly what you're looking for, exactly what you're hoping for. Whether or not the particular individual in this documentary ends up getting a a different judgment or released – um, you know this. The argument. Absolutely. Is this, this was it, This guy got railroaded. This guy got uh, unfair treatment. And if it forces the judicial system to look more carefully at how these things are handled, then uh, I'm sure they chalk that one up as a win. Yeah, but the
0: well, filmmakers' next three documentaries are in the process of being funded. That's the important part.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, honestly, that's that. That's the important part. But. For them, but I do think that, you know, they got so much what, you know, they love to call earned media out of this because it was such a well-told story, period. It sucked you in. They did their job of telling the story correctly um, because, you know, I can go on, as you know, for days about editing and how important that is in telling a story. And, And, again, they did a really good job of starting a conversation that apparently we really needed to have. And people need to understand their rights a lot more clearly than they do. So, you know, that makes me happy. And like I said, I don't know if the dude's guilty or innocent or not. But what I do know is, like, I think that someone unbiased needs to get in there and, like, figure it out.
2: Yeah. Um, well, speaking of guilt and innocence, Mickey, would you say that the uh, the alleged killer in this, uh, in this documentary, is he more guilty or less guilty than the average Cincinnati Bengal? Ha! <laughs>
1: I would guess. I would guess that he is probably less guilty than the average Cincinnati. Guys, look at him. What is he weigh? For years, they have like led the league. Just FYI, in having the criminals on their teams.
2: Uh, for those who didn't notice that, uh, so Mickey, you survived uh, heart palpitations on Saturday night. Is that safe to say when your Steelers came <laughs> out oh,
1: oh my good god! Know,
2: probably one of the roughest and dirtiest, and and you know, because at one point, didn't one of the coaches grab a guy by the dreadlock? Yeah,
0: that was uh, Mike uh, Munchak. Hey, that was used Munchak. to be a, few, a, a, a Hall
1: of Famer. By used the way. to be
0: a Houston Oilers <laughs> offensive lineman. Yeah. So he's as tough as they come. And, and that guy that was running to the sidelines, whose hair he grabbed, that guy was going to join in a fight. And the hair was the handle that Munchek used to keep order. I don't see that he did anything wrong.
1: <laughs> I honestly didn't think that Munchek meant to grab his hair. I think he meant to grab the back of him. But you have long hair. That's what you get. Like, that's the deal. I think he just meant to stop him. Like, it wasn't necessarily a um a, a progressive action. It was something more to the it was more of a reaction, I guess than anything else, in my eyes, uh, with the Munchak situation. And then we had Joey Porter on the field who has a history with the Bungles, which is long and storied when he used to play for us, but he's a coach now. And we had a player down. He went out, and there were words, and there were fights, and apparently there was some spitting, a lot of spitting again. Um, They seem to like to do that. And so that's, you know, kind of crazy. And uh, and, and it's one of those things where I, I lived through it, Yay, Steelers! We did it. Today's probably the best day of the week for me. Wednesday um, is when we film y'all, and and it's one of those things where I feel uh, I, I feel good today because it's not game day, and I'm like kind of starting to recover from what happened on Saturday.
2: Other than that brief period where you can you stop the, the nervousness about the game that just completed, right? And the you know um, you know how you're feeling feeling better then uh, this morning, uh, Mickey.
1: Who?
2: St. Louis Rams fans. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Who
2: lost their team uh, just, like, you know, that, just last night?
1: I, that blows my mind that they can just go, uh, yeah, you don't get to like keep your team anymore. We're just going to lift it up, take it to another city.
0: One of those rare markets that's actually lost two teams. They lost the Cardinals about 25 years ago, and now they've lost the Rams.
1: So and are they just not a sports town? Or, is, the, or are they like, you know, what's their deal?
2: The Cardinals baseball team would probably argue they're a fine sports town. No question. Uh, the Blues hockey team hasn't been making noises about, uh, about that. I, I so would they're note, a baseball town. Yeah, well, indisputably. But the, w- one of the things kind of – usually in a circumstance like this, you complain about greedy owners who are playing cities against each other and looking for the best deal that they can get and how can they get their brand new shiny stadium with lots of luxury boxes built at taxpayer expense. In this bizarre set of circumstances, the St. Louis owner is willing to build um, this giant new complex in Los Angeles, um, mostly without taxpayer expense. I was I, I wrote about it a bit today. The city is going to cover a little bit of the uh, costs of, of attaching. Oh, we had uh, this
1: whenever I mean, yeah. whenever we built Heinz Field, and you know that was why they were required to have sponsors brought in and things like that. Um, the cost of the stadium, but i I get that we we even have that conversation here in Richmond all the time back and forth about a baseball stadium. Oh my good God, the city council mm-hmm. meetings about it. I it makes me say, to-
2: this is a not that political podcast, but Mickey, <laughs> nothing makes me spit hot fire like the idea of taxpayers having to shell out for sports stadiums. Because, one, because it's a terrible investment. It almost never has the economic impact they promised. But the other thing which really drives me crazy, and I say this as a diehard NFL fan, I hate doing it for NFL games because NFL teams play eight home games a year. <laughs> right. If you have to build a sports arena, you build, or a sports you know, edifice complex, uh, you have to, you, if you do a, a basketball or a hockey arena, you're at least using it for 41 games each. Yeah. See now, like, and I will
1: defend this position in the sense that we have side by side in Pittsburgh, PNC Park, Mm -hmm. and we have Heinz Stadium. Now Heinz Field uh, is used by the Steelers. It's also used by Pitt, Um, and it's also.
2: Five or six games a year. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: so it's used. It's used by. It's used by. Shut up. It's used by Pitt. It's used by the Steelers. It's used by high school football players whenever they get to like the state level.
2: Okay, there's another ten.
1: And it's also used for tons of concerts and things like that. But like in this particular case, it was a big deal in Allegheny County going back and forth, and who was going to pay for it, and how many of the counties outside needed to pay for it, or should the city pay for it, or whatever. And like I said, sponsors to get involved eventually. Because Three Rivers needed to come down. It was a nightmare for both. Now, having said that, you, you do, in a case of a town like the Steelers, you are going to make that money back. Because they were able to revitalize the entire area around the stadium um, to include more hotels and more restaurants and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, the money's coming back.
2: Uh, okay, and almost. Here's the thing: they've, they've run the studies on this, um, and look, I, I've been to PNC Park, the the baseball stadium. I haven't had a chance to go into Heinz Field. Mm-hmm. Um, they're beautiful structures; they're they're very well done. But almost any penny that you spend as a taxpayer towards building a sports complex can be better spent on almost anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be tax breaks for a... You, know, Ugh, person, right? you are
1: like, the no fun. You are the no You're right, the it's anti-fun. It's no
2: fun. It's that these are big billionaires and exceptionally wealthy people. This is the last people who should be getting money from taxpayers. You know what kills I me? I
1: understand what you're saying.
2: In the but, Houston
0: market, the uh, yeah. taxpayers in the city are the ones supposedly paying the bills for the city. And yet, when Houston built a new stadium, Energy Stadium or whatever it is, somehow the people out in the suburbs ended up being taxed for it, even though we don't get the benefits that accrue to a large stadium that draws lots of people there because that's right in the heart of a place that keeps electing Sheila Jackson Lee to Congress. (laughs) <laughs> I don't understand why I have to pay taxes. So it's Sheila Jackson Lee's voters are better very off. Quickly.
2: <laughs> Mickey, <duck>.
1: that escalated <laughs> really quickly. That baby, that Dave's neck is going to explode. It was just That's a way I'm of explanation. I'm on both your mics in about two seconds here. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy because, well, as you know, everything seems to come back to that one way or another. And it's always about the money, money, money. So we're going to talk about the Powerball fever coming up next. I'm Mickey White and he's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back. Any place, any time is a good time for Coke.
2: welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show I am Jim Garrity joined by Mickey White and by the time you hear this you may already be a winner of 1.5 billion dollars or maybe there'll be no winner and it'll go even higher Uh, we'll see how things shake out on that but uh, Mickey you've been thinking about this quite a bit haven't you
1: well, of course. Um, my $2 were invested solely for the time that I could spend fantasizing about what I would do with my billion dollars. And, and, I, and I have to tell you guys, um, I have big dreams. Uh, big, huge dreams. Is that $2 million uh,
0: diamond bra on your list?
1: <laughs> no, because it looks painful. <laughs> um, I bet those little sparkly things have little sticks at the back and they hurt. However... Um, I suspect, like, maybe none of you would ever hear from me again. I'm not sure. Um, or you might just follow me around the world on my Instagram account because, like, the immediate – the first thing I think of is travel. Like, you know, go through the standard, pay your bills, blah, 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 blah hide from your family, get the lawyers. Or as Mr. Bias used to say, Backing get the three lawyers so yeah. you have somebody watching everybody.
2: <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Mickey, when you say pay the bills – Yes. Do you mean your bills or the Buffalo Bills for beating the Jets and making sure the Steelers? <laughs> <run out? laughs> or both? I, I, you know, knowing you,
1: I'll you, send them some more permani sandwiches. You're a woman full of gratitude. So. I, I, I am full of gratitude. Um, and uh, yeah, and maybe send you know some permani sandwiches along with that. Uh, but no, like you know, pay off the mortgage, pay off all you know, pay off everything, and then you know that that's a given. But I you know, I like I said, I love to travel. So the idea of being able to just go and not have to think about like coming back because of work, oh my god. Like I'd be gone. And every I think everyone who knows me knows it. Like it wouldn't even like obviously Mr. Bias wants his compound. Like he's gonna be really disappointed if he doesn't get some kind of compound out of a billion dollars. But For me, I'm the opposite. I'm like, okay, I want to go everywhere, and I want to see everything.
2: What about you? Uh, I'm noticing when you you go to The the great thing about traveling when you're that wealthy, Mickey, is you can go to a city. Just look at a hotel. Oh, that one looks nice. And go in and not really have to worry about how much it costs to stay there or when you want to check out. And even if they say, I'm sorry, ma'am, the hotel is sold out, you can say, okay, I'll buy this hotel. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Like, I'll just buy the hotel you'll, instead because I really okay. like it because I like this hotel and I think I'll buy it. Will you take cash or check? So
2: once you check the boxes on all the things you want to take care of, um, you know, take care of your family, um, probably donate to the National Review Institute to say thanks for employing me all these years, huh. um, you know, do, do all the appropriate expressions of gratitude. Here, here's a question to you, Mickey.
1: No, no. Once you've done that.
2: Okay. How much do you think you need to buy a chunk of an NFL team?
1: Oh, oh,
2: so you want to buy a chunk of the Jets? By itself, I could, you know, the the Jets, I think last time they changed hands, it was something more than a billion dollars. So, after taxes, I would not have enough money to buy the Jets. But you you might be able to buy a chunk. Yeah. Would Woody Johnson sell me, you know, for $100 million or $200 million, you know, something to be the, you know, a minority owner of your favorite sports team? Um, and then you know, be a you know, part owner, and I presumably get to go to the owners' box and be able to walk around the place, watch all the trade, be basically be a part of the team because you own a part of it. Like that strikes me as great. And here's
1: the thing: that would be fantastic.
2: That would be pretty good. And here, okay, so here's the other thought: let's say you know Woody Johnson doesn't want to sell any of it. You know, um, the Rooneys don't want to sell you any of the Steelers. Mm-hmm. What would it take to run around buying a, as many shares of the Green Bay Packers as possible? <laughs> Because they're publicly owned, right? Right. They would take a pickup truck, a pickup truck
0: with a cover on it to keep them from blowing out in the wind.
2: (laughs) Go around, go to various, you know, Packers fans. A lot of whom own like one share, and say, "How much do you want for it?" And eventually, you get a. You probably build a sizable chunk of it, if not be a majority owner, maybe have a plurality or or some significant chunk of ownership of the Green Bay Packers, and that strikes me as a pretty neat thing to uh, to have.
1: That would be very 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 cool. One of the things that irritates me when the Powerball gets this high is the, um, I guess I would call them the naysayers. They are the anti-fun, like you can be sometimes. Um, And in the sense that, you know, they want to tell you, you have one in 200 and whatever billion, you know, chances. And they go through all these crazy things. And, I mean, I even saw a video this morning making fun of other people who had done the same thing on a morning show. And the morning show had been doing it all morning. Like, you have a better chance of doing this than winning. But all they did was talk about the Powerball. And then, of course, there's those that say, you know, one of the ones that killed me. I saw this tweet this week. It was from one of those, like, I think a a motivational person, I'm guessing. Um, But it was, you know, whatever you would do if you won a billion dollars, do it anyway. Like, well, (laughs) (laughs) no, that's the whole point. Like, no, no. Wasn't there a
0: movie starring Queen Latifah about that? Did't she I, just start living like the, her life was over she got a false diagnosis of being sick and yeah, she went out and spent yeah. all her money
1: yes that is exactly what happened
0: <laughs> and she found and love she, too
1: and then she found love but she was broke um, <laughs> so that's great but yeah like I was I was like no like a billion dollars. That changes a lot. Like, we're not talking a million dollars for people. We're talking a billion dollars, which changes everything. I'll tell you so what I would do. the idea of, like, oh, well, just go do what you would do. Well, I want to travel the world. I have and two I planes. Want to stay in nice places.
0: If and- I was single, I would permanently live on a cruise ship and see the whole world that way. And if I was married, I'd go away and live on a cruise ship permanently and
2: see the world that
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> But, again, these naysayers, and then, you know, again, it's $2. I get that, you know, some people are going to overspend or what have you, but I think it's ridiculous not to enjoy the fun of it. You know, I know there's office pools of it. Um, That's probably who will win, like, a whole group of people. Um, But it's the lottery isn't bad to win. It's what you do with it after you win. Like, there's all these shows out there, you know, you know, the lottery changed my life. And they have these, like, very dark kind of undertones. And sometimes they have really happy people and sometimes they are very sad people, depending. And the thing is, it's about the people, not about the money. So for me, a billion dollars would be awesome.
2: I, I was going to say, the, the, there's, I, the idea of just do what you would do if you'd won the lottery. Right. I, I can spot a few flaws in that approach, Mickey. Among them, I go up to Woody Johnson. I'd like to buy the New York Jets from you. And he'd say, "Okay, how much you got?" And I'd say, "Uh, eighty bucks."
1: Right. You know, suddenly very there different. Are certain things
2: you do need the billion dollars to do. <laughs> right? Well, like, oh, exactly. Like anything
1: that you're quote fantasizing about doing with your billion dollars, you can't do it now, or you'd it, probably right. already be doing it.
2: If you have a dream and you don't really need a billion dollars to do it, and you're not doing it, that's actually kind of sad.
1: <laughs> right? Get on I mean, it. Go,
2: at that point, it's it's holding you back. Now, here's the thing. Now. Mickey, I assume you've heard the argument that the lottery is a tax on stupid people oh
0: of course, except yes. for one
1: <laughs> right <laughs> good
2: point yeah um I mean I would say we, we are once the the jackpot I think that highest, is a very
1: uh, condescending thing to say by the way
2: <laughs> well, i don't it's a tax care. on people who can't do math
1: well no, it's not that either it's a game it's like it's a game of chance, and you spend a dollar, you might i mean, I have relatives that one of the things they do at Christmas is hand out scratchers. And they're awesome because, you know, you could end up winning five bucks or you could end up winning a thousand.
2: That's fun. Um, how, I guess here's the question is it what, at once you start buying, I'm going to say more than, you know, uh, people will have their own threshold, whether it's a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever amount I, I you're think putting that's in a insane. year. Yeah, because, you know, or even over the course of a year. You know, you put that into an IRA or a four oh one K. Yes. It's actually going to accumulate over the course of your lifetime. Right? So you know, cumulatively it. now, if you buy it once in a while, you could do yeah.
1: that with everything. Like down to ketchup. And that's what I have to say about it. Like if you're gonna spend and, and say like, well, whatever you spent on eggs, you could have invested. Well, yes. No kidding. Well, here's the thing. Money I chose I spend, chose not just... to invest. I chose it to do this with it. But if
2: you take that money and you put it into your investment, it rewards you later in life. Whereas if you take that money, spend it on ketchup, and put it on a hot dog, you've committed an abomination, Mickey. <laughs> so a
0: guy comes home from work and tells his wife, honey, I won the lotto. Pack your clothes. And she says, oh, goody, summer or winter clothes? He says, all of them. I want you out of here by 6 p.m. <laughs>
1: Yes, although so as I alluded to earlier, one of the discussions that, you know, Mr. Bias and I have had is, you know, the 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 plan. Because everybody, I think, in their head has, like, the plan. Like, what would you do? And the hole-up idea is very important. You want to hole-up until you've hired all the appropriate people, your tax yeah. attorneys. Yeah. And, and like I said, Mr. Bias being himself is, of course, you know, we would have to hire three. So And they'd have to be from different places so they could all keep an eye on each other because that's the only way to keep these people honest with that kind of money.
2: (laughs) I think that's very wise. And I think ultimately, (laughs) wouldn't you rather like the world really never, ever know?
1: Well, and that's the thing. He's like, wouldn't it be awesome if we just, you know, like stayed in this house? Because, of course, because of my desire to travel, like it, it would be very easy to like basically pay off the house, do any kind of updating, reno, whatever I wanted to this house. And then just go like you know you can buy other houses but if you didn't tell people like yeah, if you like kept it on the down low that would be so awesome
2: you know, the and you could be you like go, oh,
1: the best secret Santa ever yeah. to your, friend. your, your
2: friends are like oh he's a really nice he always picks up the check and never yeah, makes much like, a deal you know, out of it, and you they know. take
1: me on vacation and they just happen to have extra tickets it's weird
2: to be inexplicably generous but no one to really know why probably is much better than being you know well known as this famous lottery winner because one, the sheer envy factor; two, the number of people who come out of the woodwork asking for money and old relatives mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and you know, being the oh, target yeah, of scam artist, you know, uh,
1: under that. But no one's getting thing. my money. Yeah, let me make this um, clear: there, there, there are like literally four people on this earth that will get it, a share of my money. The rest of you, and you, you know who you are. If you're listening, <laughs> the rest of you, you're not getting it, and so. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that anyone who wants to, you know, like, crime out of woodwork to find me, forget it. I'm, I'm in hiding behind my tax attorney. The, the other and thing I will you, see you when I get back out tan and tropical.
2: <laughs> the thing that probably also nags at lottery winners is that they probably then begin to live in a, you know, the, the rare air of, of the high and mighty and the elites. And they move to the really nice neighborhood and build the mansion and travel all these places. And they probably hang around other really rich people who all built their fortunes, right? I mean, you, you become immensely wealthy, and deep down you know you didn't do anything for it. Nouveau riche. You just rich. picked the right numbers. Yes. You were, you were Nouveau riche, yes.
1: Nouveau rich. but, but a lot of these rich children that we're talking about didn't necessarily do anything either. They inherited it.
2: True enough, but I, I think in the back of your mind, you're probably always going to look at people who had built their fortune. Like, I, if I, I have a billion
1: healthy. dollars, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Like, I don't care. I won't hang out with those people be like, sorry, I don't want to hang out with you. You seem lame. I'm going to go find more fun people to hang out with. Like, I would not care. I would not care even the tiniest bit about how I got the money, whether people liked my money, whether the people liked the way I spent my money. That would be of no concern to me.
2: You know, when the Jim and Mickey show takes off. Yes. And we build this immense spectacular program. Broadcast and you Empire. And I and Dave are all, you and I and Dave have all built, let's just say, Kavolian-level fortunes. Okay.
1: I, I like the way you talk, yes.
2: Right, I mean, like, you know, uh, Bob Kavolian, recently retired, he's been very successful in, in the Hugely, radio
1: world. Yes, a Bob uh, and Tom show, um, huge yes. success. Um, not, not Bill Gates, five markets. Money, but, you know.
2: Yeah, you know this. This, this is a, a successful, uh, well-compensated, happy life that he and Becky have had, and they they totally deserve. Um, wouldn't you? You know, if if you built, you know, to to quote uh, to, to to contradict the president, you built that, right? And lottery winners, as lucky as they are and as happy as they may be, I think on some level they're actually not happy because they know they didn't actually build anything. Okay, they just you to give it to them that by you
1: want, but if I win, I'm going to be happy.
2: Okay. If you, if you win, I'll be happy to.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, You, you didn't like, build that. that you didn't build that. Who cares? It's mine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Dave. Like I don't understand the problem here. I am still missing your concept <laughs> entirely. It's a billion dollars. If someone that I did not know just decided to like write me into their will and give me a billion dollars, I wouldn't even question it. I'd be like, thank you. My billion dollars <laughs> I'm
2: not saying you couldn't get over it in time.
1: <laughs> I have a feeling I could I have a feeling like you know I could I could work that out
2: I didn't really earn this more more cocaine and hookers come on off <laughs> <I'll laughs> to the Riviera no no
0: that's you yeah, be careful that's more cocaine and hookers please <laughs> more
2: cocaine,
1: cocaine and right. hookers you gotta yeah, say it right you gotta say it while we do that we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna discuss some of the very sad news of the week and uh, how it's impacted not just the music community but the artistic community in general of course we're talking about the late great david bowie on the other side this is mickey white and i'm here with jim Garrity. you're listening to the jim and mickey show it certainly is a big bun it's a very big bun big fluffy bun
2: it's a very big fluffy Fun. Why is the Do you beef?
1: remember when America was a free country? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White and along with Jim and Garrity. And we are here talking about some of the saddest news um, we've had in a while in the arts industry. And that was the passing of David Bowie. A lot of people didn't realize he was even sick. He had um, just turned 69 two days before he passed Put away. And... It was really a moment in time as the news broke, at least in my world, Jim, where you start to realize it, a, a true end of an era as well as recognizing how many people and how many industries he actually impacted.
2: Uh, you, you've kind of hit on the, the note that I was going to emphasize here, Mickey, that um, when I say David Bowie, because he was so active in music and he did acting and he was you know, kind of dabbling and constantly reinventing himself. When you say David Bowie, people can have like easily any one of a dozen images or songs or moments in their head. So when I say mm-hmm. David Bowie, what springs to your mind first, Mickey?
1: Um, of course, this week it's hard because it's been flushed with the images. Um, and interestingly enough, there's actually a gif out there that does all the faces of David Bowie. Mm. And it shows, and it literally just transforms his face one right after the other over the different things. But I guess, I mean, my first experience with David Bowie would probably have been Let's Dance. Okay. Um, not one of, I think, his fan favorites. But I was not, like, I didn't, I, I would not say that I consider myself a David Bowie fan. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate his work. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, like, it. it's one of those things that the day he passed away, obviously, people were, you know, talking about his songs, I realized, Oh, right, he's saying that too. And, yeah, you know, different was. things like that. But you forget um, the things he did.
2: For, for starters, speaking for our generation, the Generation Xers, uh, born in the you know sometime in the seventies, did you watch Labyrinth? I did. Okay, with the young Jennifer Connelly, right? Yes, Since, yes. you know uh, how a lot of kids of the eighties kind of got introduced to him. Um, Mickey, I'm going to tell you. You have seen a, you know, what I would consider one of David Bowie's most significant film roles, and you probably don't even know it.
1: Oh, uh, really? David Bowie was in Twin Peaks: Firewalk. with <laughs> Me. Oh, my <good> God! <laughs> I'm sure he re- he would have written that down as like his big shining moment as well. I, you know, i I'm in the minority. Although the idea of him working with David Lynch probably makes sense.
2: They, they do fit. Now, here, do you even remember the scene?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> have you why why fan would fan? I remember that scene?
2: Okay. The, you know, like to me, you know, one of the, the greatest cultural triumphs of all time, although I have my, my Sometimes
1: beach- you ask <laughs> the most ridiculous questions. <laughs> this
2: is the only thing you know, you know say so, so I am bringing this to your attention, your only exposure to Twin Peaks, and you don't remember <laughs> David Bowie being in it at all. No. Okay.
1: No, but I will say this. I was always pleasantly surprised when he would pop up in a movie.
2: Yes, um, um, you know when
1: somebody's like, "Oh, that's David Bowie," and he Prestige, in
2: the- yes. playing Nikolai Tesla.
1: Yes, and, and and yeah, that was crazy, right? Um, that was it's one I didn't a- see coming. And uh, and I think, you know, he, he just released uh, an album on his birthday, uh, and there was a you know a, a video that went along with it. He clearly knew that he was passing away, and now clearly, you know, it's a gift to the fans. Um, and so, you know, people are running out there to get it. And it, it, and again, some people already had it because they were big David Bowie fans.
0: I don't know if I can test you guys' memory for this because I'm so much older than you. My favorite David Bowie film role was in a movie called Up All Night where Jeff Goldblum this ordinary schmuck gets mistaken by enemies for a spy because he ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time and doing the wrong thing. And somehow it looks like he's a genius spy who's thwarting the bad guys at every turn, even though he's staggering around, unable to sleep. That's why the movie is called Up All Night. And watching him from a corner under a street lamp in every scene is David Bowie wearing a trench coat and playing a British spy. And he's watching Jeff Goldblum accidentally looked like a super spy, and he keeps commenting to him, oh, you're very good, <laughs> and tries to recruit him into the, the British side of the spy battle that's going on, and all Goldblum wants to do is go to sleep. It was like 1980, 81, a terrific movie. If you haven't seen it, watch Up All Night. You will love David Bowie in that.
1: I will have to check that
2: out. You know, Dave, as you're describing that, I'm suddenly realizing you look at the roles and kind of his persona he had, um, particularly let's say the latter half of his career. David Bowie was that rare guy who could be creepy but likable. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there was always something off about him. One of my favorite tweets the day he died was that, I never thought he would pass away. I always figured he'd return to his home planet.
1: (laughs) Right. I saw that too.
2: Yeah. There was always something kind of otherworldly about him. Well, because of his whole,
1: like, Ziggy Stardust days. I mean, it's before our time, Jim, but you know it existed, right?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I'm just – but he always kind of had this – um, yeah, we made an observation about kind of the, the, the way that the celebrities have kind of become uh, politicized and all that stuff. David Bowie turned down a knighthood and when asked mm-hmm. about it, he kind of said, I just didn't see the point. Right. I mean like, like this is a guy for whom his entire concept of artistic expression and what he wanted – you notice almost all of his work was about being an outsider obviously is one of the reasons so many people gravitated to him, having always, you know, many people feel like being an outsider or different or not fitting in, um, kind of this near universal theme, which is kind of ironic because, you know, we're, we're you know, if, it's, if everyone's an outsider, then there are no insiders. That's
0: what I was going to say. If they're outsiders, then he should have buttoned himself down and gone to work for a financial institution because <laughs> the insiders are the rebels
2: now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, something about Bowie, just, you know, that he didn't get... That, that he was always you know if I call him Ziggy Stardust Ziggy he was always zigging when everyone else was zagging, okay. and that even you know that, that everyone always seemed to be following what he was doing a few years later, and so yes. um I kind of think he he really took a there are a lot of folks who are rebellious for a stage of their careers um only you know David Bowie had this ability to constantly be reinventing himself, changing himself, never seeming trite or tired or rehashing the old stuff and um you know, I think that you know, whether or not – whether you love him or hate him, I think most people you know, are, are missing him now and realizing uh, – like, I realize,
1: not- again, when we were discussing you know, earlier some of the songs and whatnot, the song changes. I love that song. Mm-hmm. And I oh, love – Heroes, right? I mean, Yeah, and I love – yeah, Heroes. And I love Under Pressure where mm-hmm. he sings with Queen. Um, I saw a lovely tweet about the idea of him actually singing with Freddie Mercury in Heaven Now. I thought it was interesting that that's where they thought they'd both end up. Um, but having said that, I mean, it was just, you know, there are certain things that popped up, but I was like, Oh wow. Right. I forgot about that.
2: I I was just observing that. I kind of feel like you, I I don't, I was talking about who's the David Bowie of today and I don't think anyone really fits. I I think he really was this, um,
1: as I say about everything, there's never a blank of today. The mm. things that make someone like a David Bowie special is that he's David Bowie. Yeah.
2: You're not going to make the pitch for, for uh, Bieber? Now Bieber.
1: <laughs> okay. As I explained to you guys last week, Justin Bieber, second album, third album, whatever. This album that's out right now, if they still call them albums, I don't even know. I like it. There, I said it. I said it out loud. And again, you said Hi. it again. Hi, I'm Mickey, <laughs> and I now sing Justin Bieber songs to myself <laughs> when they come on.
2: I want to thank all of you for joining us for the last Jim and Mickey show. It's yeah. really
1: funny, though, because you can tell he wrote all the songs about his ex-girlfriend, and my guess is Selena Gomez is the one we're talking about here. <laughs> and But they're very entertaining, and I even got Mr. Bias to listen to it, and he thinks— and pretty much is convinced up and to the point of me playing the song for him that Justin Bieber is, in fact, like Damien, the son kind of the <laughs>
2: devil. A, a reasonable theory. Yeah. It's often disproven. It's, 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 it's still an he's open question. Like, you know,
1: he kind of does the whole, like, have you ever seen them both in the same place? No. I um, think, uh, no, I haven't. Justin Bieber and Taylor place. Swift. <laughs>
0: Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift should do a duet about Love's Lost. I mean, it'll set your CD player literally on fire. <laughs> <laughs>
2: David, but, if they ever got together and broke up like, <laughs> That's what I'm saying It so would perfect. tear the universe apart Sell right? a billion because albums they'd, <laughs> they'd get like five albums worth of material Out of the breakup The internet <laughs>
1: would blow up, literally Like There would be no more internet You'd have back to go back to, to reunite, 10 fans
2: They would reunite for a joint album entitled It's Your Fault And, uh-huh. if, it,
0: and if it's I love Justin it. Bieber I love it. I love it. it would be a joint album with the joint inside the cover You got any narcotics or marijuana in here? <laughs>
1: not anymore nice <laughs> nice very nice well in my in in, in my fantasy world um, I prefer single Bieber because apparently he writes better music and what I like How about it, because well he's older so it's not as like bad mm. as far as lyrically um, as some of his other things are but they still have catchy I mean even his old stuff now I'm listening to that too because you know why not In for a pound, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Is that the saying goes? Something like that. And so I've been listening to some of his other things as well, but I think that he's matured. He has a great voice and there's much more focus on his voice in this new music versus like the audio tune, et cetera. With Justin Bieber,
0: it's in for a penny, in for 105 pounds, (laughs) soaking wet. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, he's gotta be. He looks like he's twelve, he's a and he has to be like honestly. The tiny, I, I, I've, I've, the tiniest person I've ever met that's famous that other people would know, um, and is super, super tiny is Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. And I right. would like to see him stand next to Bieber, just to give me an idea what we're dealing with here.
0: Chico Marx and Groucho Marks also would compare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and some of you're like, who is Richard Mark? Richard Mark sang songs in like the late '80s and early '90s. That's right. And they were songs that girls my age were all like, oh, "This is exactly how I'm feeling <laughs> right this second. <laughs> and so we bought them all up and loved them all up. And then older, you get older, and you listen. I'm like, what? What the hell? Jim, the
0: uh, studio floor is about four inches deep in estrogen right about now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: I uh, I'm trying to come up with something to say about uh, Justin Bieber and, and his height, and um, I, I I just think, feel like we've ended up in a conversational cul-de-sac. I, oh
1: uh, wow!
2: Just going around and start, I, I just can't bring myself to uh, to to have an opinion on this, Mickey. I I you, you know I, I are you
1: telling to, me that I can't force
2: you to care about my Bieberdom? Um, I'm trying. I, I have no more F words to give. I have no more <laughs> to give. I will look and jars are empty. There.
0: Prepare the Garrity Escape Pod.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I actually I'll make one observation about Justin Bieber. So he was on the cover of Men's Health not while not that long ago. And it's the first time I've ever seen the magazine where the, you know, they most magazines with a little letter from the editor or the editor's column or something. And this one was basically Like, kind of apologizing for it, (laughs) saying, Look, we know you think this guy is a jackass. We know you think this guy is a spoiled brat. We know you think this guy is a guy who's not, you know, um, not needed, you know, basically been, you know, runaway wealthy and, 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 you know, uh, acting like a punk and all that stuff. He says he wants a second chance, so we're giving it to him. And uh, we hope our readers do too. And I remember looking at him thinking, like, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I don't have to give him a second. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what has Justin Bieber ever done for me? Get off so my, my lawn, Bieber you Bieber
1: backlash? Is that what you're telling me?
2: I, you know, look, you're you're wowed by the new album. I, if I never hear, hear Justin Bieber again, I think my life will be pretty much have on Have you on, heard on
1: anything sheet. from it?
2: I don't know. It might have been background noise on the radio at some point. Mm. If it is, it hasn't been good enough for me to say, oh, I totally, you know.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, we'll just my advice to
0: you, Jim, as your producer, is don't listen to this podcast later because it's going to be saturated with the Beeb.
1: Oh.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh uh, <laughs> Get off my
0: lawn, you kid. Oh. Uh,
1: <laughs> you know you love me. I know you care. Yeah.
0: is the old crank now. He's the old geezer. Get off my lawn.
2: I will be proud to be anti Bieber until the end of time. <laughs> uh, barring some sort of amazing second act, I, I think you can see the decline of Western manhood <laughs> from David Bowie.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> You're going to go with Western yeah, manhood. David Bowie nice job. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you totally blew that analogy.
0: Bowie was like nine tenths of the way down already. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: Deliberate gender confusion. David <laughs> Bowie was more manly than Justin. <laughs> oh, 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 well, from all the faces of Bowie to all the shades of gray. Right after this.
1: He's a demolition demon in a beat-up Chevrolet. It ain't worth a dollar, so he wrecks it every day. A
2: very limited, very
0: short-term effort without. Assuming responsibility. That is exactly what we're talking about doing. Unbelievably small, limited kind of effort. This
1: is to Major Tom. you really made the grade.
2: Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey and Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You, you know, Mickey, not long ago, I was watching television and a commercial came on for a fun little movie. And it featured Dakota Johnson. And she's in New York City. She's looking for Mister Wright, and she's walking the streets. She's having all of her uh, bumbling moments, and all of a sudden, uh, Rebel Wilson—you may recall as the uh, <clears throat> hefty gal from the—she's uh, Fat Amy, yeah, Fat Amy from the Pitch Perfect movies—joins. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, the Fifty Shades of Grey sequel has gone in a really different direction. <laughs> turns out it's not the Fifty Shades of Grey sequel. It's called How to Be Single. Uh, but I kind of oh. recognize that because I've only seen Dakota Johnson in this one infamous film, uh, if you have not listened to the review in our previous podcast, I hope you do. Um, because I felt like even a, like, like if the, the people were, were evaluating the movie and denouncing the movie based on the uh, rather explicit sexual material and depictions of bondage and all that stuff. And I feel like a lot of people overlooked the fact that it was a – Really, really terrible, terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> Full of terrible acting and terrible direction and an awful screenplay. Really nice scenery, I'll give them that. Costumes and set design were fine, but otherwise, cinematography
1: was pretty good.
2: Yeah, Seattle looks good, but otherwise, like everything in it is awful. And I kind of felt a little bit bad for Dakota Johnson that this was her her big coming out, her big debut, right? And this is what people. And so now she makes this other romantic comedy. And the first thing that pops in my head is this previous role of hers, and it's like, oh, you know, and and, and so I, um, is is Mickey? I put it to you: Is Dakota Johnson going to be the most painfully, um, uh, I want to say miscast? Let's just maybe you know the most painfully, um, pigeonholed or or, you know Mm -hmm. typecast, uh, uh, typecast. Thank you, the most typecast actress to come along in Hollywood in a long time. No. Okay.
1: Um, and I say this because, I mean, it all depends on the roles in which she takes after this. And she may have chosen to go with a romantic comedy simply because it was a comedy and kind of change up. But the, the fact of the matter is they're signed for two more movies. So she's stuck with this character. However, um, I think of her very much like I think of Rooney Mara, who we talked about last week, because she was in The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. And her character in that movie was very distinct and had a very uh distinct behavior everything about mm-hmm. yeah, the character say, yeah. and and so i you know I wondered how she would transition out of that, and eventually she did i think I think her first couple roles after it were very similar. I think the bigger problem is that she's not really a very good actress
2: <laughs> yeah that hurts that that you know I I remember coming out of Fifty Shades and saying, "Man, there had to have been better takes." I can't believe those are the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Or if those were like, just how bad were you know? There were scenes that were supposed to be playful, and I you know you could easily recut this to make this a serial killer movie. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't have to change any of the line readings. You wouldn't have to change the tone.
1: <laughs> yeah, it you just had a very soundtrack like,
2: to sound more ominous, Then all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, he's he's an axe murderer. And, it you know. was,
1: yeah, it, it, it lacked a great deal in both chemistry and yes. actual sex for me. Like, there really wasn't any that I can remember, but like maybe once. And it was a very <laughs> odd movie, and I don't like I said there was there was zero romance. Mm-hmm. Although, apparently, women go completely crazy over this. Um, I get the idea of, you know, it's that fantasy dream guy with a zillion dollars, comes and sweeps you away, takes you away from your horrible life, and gives you this new wonderful life, except for you're his sex slave. And I have no problem with someone who wants to live that lifestyle. I would just wish they would, you know, find people who could act better to play that. <laughs> Especially I since the book was so popular. But I guess, you know, actresses were probably like, no, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. And she was probably someone who was like, I'll do it. I haven't had a job in a thousand years. <laughs> um,
2: I remember when they unveiled the trailer on the Today Show, and, and obviously you said because of the book sales, there was this you mm-hmm. know enormous sense of expectation from the audience. They show it, and then they cut to Johnson and the, the guy in the movie, and they just are sitting there so awkwardly. Yes. And there's no smiling. There's no giggling. They don't seem there's- happy. No, they they really acted like they didn't really want to be around each other, mm-hmm. and I wonder, like, ooh, did, you know, did the taping go wrong? Did it go bad? Did they just, you know, bad uh,
1: chemistry even in real life? I haven't kind of seen it, extreme. but and there, I they did read
0: there was a chemistry problem between the two of them. She thought he smelled, and he didn't like her, and so forth. There was a real chemistry problem.
2: Um, which I, 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 I believe that based on the, the way they interacted. <laughs> Um, but at some point toward the very end of the interview, the interviewer says to the the, the gentleman whose name escapes me, um, it was either like, what does your wife think of this or what does your girlfriend think of this? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, <laughs> she's single, he's not. And maybe that makes the discussion of these intimate sex scenes a little more awkward or something like that. Um, but they really just – you know the weird thing, like for a movie like this, you would like to think that the two stars um, –
1: yeah, I th- they clearly like whatever. They don't yeah. get along. I don't think. This is, that's that, I guess. Yeah, that's the vibe you
2: got. And it, you know, the whole point of the movie, like, no one goes to watch Fifty Shades for serious. You know, like, like it's supposed to be fun, right? I thought to I, I a thought certain sex degree. Was supposed to be fun, you know. Yes. And, yes. And it, it's, this is the most unfun movie about sex of all time. And you know,
0: if you anyone might
1: actually be right about that, if There's anyone no asks the all.
0: question, can two stars who don't like each other make a movie with? chemistry i submit dirty dancing
1: yes oh they didn't like each other not at all really yes and i love the chemistry between the two of them it was
0: wonderful they are two professional actors for all time they will go down in cinema history as not liking each other but making us believe they had chemistry
2: you know dave that kind of surprises me and it strikes me as very short-sighted if jennifer gray can't find it in herself to um, find something likable about Patrick Swayze, find some way to enjoy working with him. Doesn't that strike you as cutting off your nose to spite your face? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bummed. Ladies and
0: gentlemen, Jim Garrity playing the, the Elite Room until next Thursday. Tip your waitress Tip your
2: later.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, here's the thing. Like, I, I would Jennifer Grey, surcut, dirty dancing strikes me. Oh, she's, she's, you know, there's something really cute about her in that role and she she really nails it and then she gets the nose job and does anybody remember seeing her since?
1: She was unrecognizable after the nose job and that's Right like you know like But she, again maybe was, but it was But maybe it was more than the nose job maybe she was a B-I-T-C-H. Mm. I mean if you can't get along with Patrick Swayze
0: <laughs> I don't know whose fault that was I really don't I just heard that they didn't get along.
1: Mm-hmm. but I well, have seen I her in her some cuz Patrick Swayze is awesome. I've That's seen
0: awesome. her in Hallmark movies that sort of thing lately. She's kind of making a comeback but not anywhere she near the level she yeah, was. Yeah, she
2: didn't quite go into the federal witness protection program, <laughs> but you would have figured after Dirty Dancing being this runaway hit and and her, you know, look she, she's you know at the heart of that movie. You would have figured she would have gone on to be a big star, and I can't help but have the suspicion that the fact that she no longer looked like that beloved girl from that extremely popular movie didn't help. There's another element,
0: though, an important one, and that is she and her boyfriend, Matthew, what's his name, from Ferris Bueller, got in a horrible car wreck in Ireland, and he was hurt really badly, and she was hurt, and they were both – completely out of it for, like, more than a year. So I think that, too, contributed to her not riding there the wave. Ex- it
1: was a fatal accident. Yeah, they
0: killed the-, the other person coming down the road, and it was their fault. Mm-hmm. So something yeah. made them want to get out of the spotlight, and that was it.
1: There you mm-hmm. go. See? Look, again, fountain of knowledge. Just Look. say he's old. Dave's old. Rays here
0: Dave knows everything because he's old. Jennifer. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yes, we've covered them all except for Fifty Shades of Black, which is a um, movie that is coming out. It is a satire, I guess, parody
0: <laughs> I can't um,
1: done by the Wayans brothers. And that I actually am looking forward to watching, um, obviously, on demand, because, as you all know, it takes a great deal to get my ass to a theater. And no, I <laughs> yes, still haven't see seen Star Wars. Star Wars. Go see that. Okay, yeah, I still fine. haven't seen Star Wars yet either. So there.
2: Um, I, I would say I've enjoyed the the, uh, the commercials for that. Mrs. Campaign Spot laughed at it. I think if there's any movie that, that took itself so seriously and so you know almost pompously or self-importantly, uh, Fifty Shades has has some mockery coming. And there oh, there's yes. you know in a way like this you know there there are a lot of times the, there are very few movies you say oh the parody was better than the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if you was Hot Shots better than Top Gun, or you know, was the Naked Gun better than any of those uh, police classic, you know, uh, police detective movies? But I think Fifty Shades of Black is almost certain to be a better movie <laughs> than Fifty Shades of Black.
1: You'll it really has a win- it, it has a really good chance.
0: The bar is. I low. will
1: tell you this: I um, when you talk about parodies, is that I watched Three Hundred, and I also watched We Are the Spartans, or whatever it is. Oh, meet the Spartans. Meet the, meet Spartans. the Spartans, yes. And oftentimes I get confused which happened and which. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just think about nipple rings.
2: You <laughs> know. Uh, so
1: the- yeah, so I sometimes can get confused by them. I'm just saying. <laughs> Mickey, by any chance, have
2: you seen um, the sequel, 300 Rise of an Empire?
1: No. I saw
2: it. Uh, It features uh, Eva Green. Eva Green uh, from the
0: first James Bond movie.
2: Uh Yes, there's something that separates Eva Green from a lot of other actresses in Hollywood. Eva Green will take off her top if you ask her to. She'll take off her top if she's feeling a little warm. Uh, And so, three hundred is full of people being impaled on spears and sword fights and explode. You know everything you'd expect in this. But the difference between 300 and 300 Rise of an Empire is that Eva Green is in it and with this new different hero Themis Stockaleyes or something like that, right? <laughs> love There is one banging down on the table, knocking down, you know, clothes being ripped off and and body it, it's It's, it's what you hope very, was in the
0: It's what you hope was in the 50 Shades of Grey movie, but it wasn't.
1: Yes. yes <laughs> so I'm you're telling going. me I should watch this this yes. movie for the sex scene? Watch three the minutes, sequel to 300. Okay, so
2: three minutes of 300 Rise of an Empire <laughs> has a lot more sex and I'd argue a lot more dramatic tension and intensity <laughs> than in the entire Fifty Shades. So I guess you know, I'd say it's six times because you know 300 is six times bigger than 50. Um, <laughs> but the thing is I'm watching it one night and uh, Mrs. Campaign Spot is sleeping on the couch next to me. And, you know, sometimes the movie gets loud or not. She happens to wake up at the exact moment of the bagging on the table sex scene. (laughs) And, of course, now she thinks I've been watching a movie that's entirely that the entire time. And And she'll she'll never fall asleep on the couch again. again. Now she wakes up, fine. No, I've been watching people getting impaled for 45 minutes.
1: (laughs) Nope. That's the scene that you were to be caught watching, apparently.
2: So there you go. So again, I, I could recommend 300 being a pretty darn good movie and um, three minutes that are way better than like two hours of Fifty Shades.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Rise of an Empire, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I, thank you, Dave. Thank you for going there because my inner 12-year-old was really wanting to <laughs> and yet felt like it wasn't the right thing to do. This is not um, on
0: air. We can, we can say fuck all we want, right?
1: Yes, that is correct. (laughs) I know. I I was trying really hard to be good there, though, um, with the whole Rise of the Empire thing. um, Because I immediately thought of, like, rising other things. And then I couldn't stop laughing and had to mute myself.
0: <laughs> so and she said, "You call that an empire? Looks like a small town to me."
1: Um, I'm Mickey Wade, and he's Jim Garrity. Behind the board is Dave Perkins, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jim and Mickey
2: Show. You make me want to be a better man. Ah! I wish I knew how to quit you, Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. <laughs> Welcome back to The Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we come to you kind of in the middle of winter when when the television networks have kind of put some of their shows on a brief hiatus. They're supposed to start coming back in the coming weeks. Mickey, you were just telling me that there's going to be a, apparently a bold change about our, one of our favorite
1: shows, Castle. This is you know just something that I read in, I believe it was Variety, and they put out that Castle might be back next year but without the two main characters. What? Right? Like wh- then what is the point? Like all I could think of is that they're going to do a spin-off with Alexis and that black British chick that they brought in um maybe to compete with the new Nancy Drew. I don't but,
2: know. But it wouldn't be a spin-off series. It would be a continue it would be Castle without Castle.
1: I guess. Yeah. And Castle without
2: Beckett. Which has been like the the core of the show for eight. Like if you don't want to if you don't want to continue the show, then don't continue the show,
1: right? Or do a different show. But yeah, it's it's very odd to me, and and I know that they this had is like trouble
2: Seinfeld without Seinfeld. Well,
1: I, I do know that they had trouble getting um, Stasia, whatever her Stana name, is Katich There you go, Stanekatich. See, I, of course, you guys know her name. Um, <laughs> I know they had trouble negotiating her into this year's contract. She
0: doesn't mind taking her top off either, for the record.
1: Yes, apparently she, went, she was like not necessarily thrilled with you know, whatever was going on. And so she took some time to get back into the contract for this season. So I suspect that has something to do with it. And they may be ready to move on to do other things. But I think it's really weird because the show, as far as I know, is pretty successful and you know, for its time slot, that's it's got a terrible time slot. I was gonna say if
2: the actors and creative team are ready to move on, then move on. And if you yeah. want to, if if you really want to do a spin off show about the daughter, I, I suppose you could do that. Um like I, said, I, I feel seems... like somebody
1: already beat them to the punch since they're doing the Nancy Drew, which yeah. I, I've got my eye on because I'll 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 let you know, listeners, if it's worth watching or not. Let's put it that way.
2: Okay. Um this this kind of reminds isn't it is like when Joey was a spin-off of Friends, mm. right? I mean like at oh, some point
1: it's a good I, idea again or, things that never happened.
2: Right? That's like The Godfather 3 to you yeah. or uh uh or, or you know the fourth Indiana Jones movie things or that Rocky just didn't happen. Yeah, Rocky
1: 5 is <laughs> on that list too. Yep. Didn't happen. But, I, Again,
2: like yeah, like you know, this this may be time for Castle to ride off into the sunset. And the idea of, of that, that strikes me is like, look, could, do we know it's going to fail? No, but and sometimes you have to salute the creative folks of, of trying to try something bold and different. Um, but sometimes bold and different just doesn't work. You can tell when there's <laughs> a good it cash it flow does
1: because you can point to the cast of Cheers. Which has rotate, you know, which rotated off and on. Um, you know, they brought in new characters and remained Cheers and the Cheers gang. And you can do the same thing with something like ER or in a hospital or whatever. But this show is about them. Yeah, it. it it's not an, like there is an ensemble cast, but the show is about them.
2: It's, <laughs> like- it's very clear who the lead characters are and who these supporting characters are and it, there really hasn't there's never been any vagueness about that there's never been any yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. it's like doing Rizzoli uh, and Isles without Rizzoli and Isles which they're not doing by the way they're canceling the show yes.
1: yes thank god that you know that was a show that I thought had so much potential but fell into that awful pit of telling me way too much about their personal life like if I'm watching that type of kind of and it should have been a little lighter in my opinion But, you know, a little fun procedural, et cetera, I don't really care that much about their personal life. Just give me what I want.
2: I think the police procedural genre has been kind of overstuffed for a while. There are a lot of shows, (laughs) and so everyone's going to do their serial killer one. Everyone's going to do their, you know, it feels like it's very tough to feel like you're doing something fresh and different with it. And uh, I think it ended up feeling kind of painfully generic in a crowded field. Nevertheless,
0: when a show is making money, they find a way to justify continuing even beyond the sensible limits, i.e., losing your lead character for whom the show is named. Right. (laughs) Castleless. No castle.
1: castle. Newcastle.
0: (laughs) Newcastle. That'll do it. There's a town in Pennsylvania. Yes,
1: there is Newcastle.
0: (laughs) Get some other writer that just graduated college and hook him up with Stana (sighs) Kadich.
1: Call it Newcastle.
0: I hope well, they're listening I hate in to Hollywood. Do this,
1: but um we've come to another end of the show. Can you believe that? This hour goes by so very very quickly. Um it's been a great time for me. I hope you guys have had fun too. I uh, want to send out some shout-outs to thank you to all of our friends and listeners who have been in contact and listened to the last show um the first one of the new year. We are as I said uh in that last show going to be making some changes throughout the first quarter here and uh Look forward to growing with you. And uh, with that, I will leave you. I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us here every week on SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show or on Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey.